that's exactly kind of what we're going to be talking about this morning, is this idea of prayer. And the question came to my mind this week, what, is it, what does it mean to pour out something? As I was getting started, realizing what we were going to be talking about, this question kind of was, was in my mind. I was trying to figure it out. What does it mean to pour out something? Uh, I thought to give away or to get rid of or maybe to empty. Now, there's a lot of things in life that we can pour out. I was thinking about coffee and tea. Oh, so good in the morning, right? There is lots of good things that we can pour out. Now, there's also things that, we, that are bad that we can pour out for good reason, right? Maybe for oil from underneath our car because it's gross and it's bad and it's used and it needs to be replaced with new oil. Well, this concept, I think, of pouring out something good or bad and the positive reasons for why we do it, I think this is something that we're all familiar with. Now, it could just be, you know, sharing something with someone in need. It could be treating ourselves to a nice latte. It could be taking care of our car so that we don't kill it or ruin the engine. Now, saying all that, I know there's probably some bad reasons that we could pour out something. That $1,000 perfume that you thought was some old liquid. I'm really sorry, honey. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever done that before. I haven't done that before, but that would be tragic, right? If you had something of great value and you accidentally poured it out. Now, there are some things that are bad that we can pour out, but we're going we're gonna to set aside those negative things that we can pour out this morning. And I want us to focus this morning on something that is good to pour out. Because the, many, there's many times in our life good things that we can pour out that I think sometimes we forget to. And I would argue that there's a best thing that we can pour out to God that many times we forget to. And that is that we can pour out our heart to the Lord. A lot of times we forget to pour out things to God. And I believe that God wants us to pour out our heart to him. Okay, so in middle school, youth group, and, and even in children's ministry, we'll do illustrations sometimes to help kids figure out what we're talking about. We're bringing that to you this morning. So uh, here we go. So this is our life, right? And in our life, there's a lot of things that are coming our way every single day. Picture all, this being all the things that our life is being filled with, okay? It could be being filled with hurt, okay? It could be that our life gets filled with pain, and it hurts. It could be that there's bad news that we receive. It could be there's brokenness. It could be burdens. It could be loss or betrayal or uh, sickness, heartache could be depression, anxiety, stress. It's already filling up, and uh, there's no relief in sight. Uh, so in life, a lot of times, a lot of things start to fill our cup. Now, don't get me wrong. There's also joys that fill our cup, and there's hopes, and 
there's, you know, there's passions, there's surprises, there's peace, there's kindness, there's generosity, there's thanksgiving. And, you know, our cup can hold a lot, but eventually it gets to that point where our cup just can't hold anymore. And eventually it just starts to pour over. And it's more than we can handle. And a lot of times in life, we're okay with the good things pouring over, right? It's really easy when things are good and they pour over. It's kind of neat when things pour over and they're good, right? But what about when things start to pour over in our life and they're bad? And it pours over and it's more than we can handle. It's more than we can bear. It's more than we know what to do with. I don't know about you, but I don't like that. And a lot of times in life, we're pretty good at pouring out the good things and bringing those to God. But a lot of times when things are hard or when things are tough, and I don't know why, maybe it's Genesis 3, maybe it's the fall. Uh, there could be a lot of reasons why, but we like to like carry our own cup. We think we have to do it all on our own and we keep going on in life and we keep overflowing thinking that we have to carry it on our own and it gets hard and it gets heavy and it's a big burden to carry. But here's the deal. When we have the, all these negative things that start to pour over onto, in our lives, it pours over onto others. And a lot of times those negative things start to hurt other people or it starts to ruin our relationships or it starts to really be something that ends up creating bitterness or resentment or a lot of different things in our life. And the thing that we want to try to see this morning is that whenever we're going through these times in our life and wherever our cup is starting to get heavy, it's good for us, and hopefully before it gets to overflowing, it's good for us to start to realize that we can go to God and we can start to pour out our heart to him and give it all to him because he can handle it. And when we do this, not only is it the way that we were created, not only is it the way that we were meant to operate, but it's healthy. It's good. And I don't know about you, but it's a lot better place to be. And it makes room in our lives and in our hearts for us to be able to handle more bad things that are going on in our life because we have a lot of those bad things that we're going to go through. And you see, what I'm describing, what I'm just sharing with you guys, uh, it's something that we should strive to do on a regular basis, to pour out our heart to the Lord. But somewhere along the way, like I said, we, we think we've got to try and shoulder it all on our own. We think we have to try and do it on our own. And I'm hoping, though, what we'll see this morning is, and what we can be challenged to do is to pour out our, house, our hearts to God. And not just this morning, not just this week, but hopefully beyond, that it will become something that we do in our day-to-day -day lives. So we're going to open up our Bibles, and we're going to make our way through Habakkuk this morning, uh, the minor prophet. And I want you to be thinking and pondering through the question, when was the last time that I really poured out my heart 
to God. When was the last time that I really poured out my heart to God? Now, the minor prophet, Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, depending on how you say it, everybody says it a little differently, try to say that without spitting the right, Habakkuk or Habakkuk, right? Now, it also almost sounds like a rapper's name, kind of like Habakkuk, the guy that finds himself in God's book, telling the Israelites to take a good look, Habakkuk, right? Did I go into the wrong profession? I feel like maybe I took up the wrong profession here. I don't know. Joking, joking. No, but Habakkuk, right, this prophet had, he had two conversations with God that depict and foretell the decline of the Judean kingdom or the kingdom of Judah, which we know took place by the Babylonians in 586 B.C. And so now in in verse 5 of chapter 1, if you were to open up to Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 5, it says that God was going to do something in their day that they would not believe, even if they were told. And this most likely tells us that this took place, the writing of Habakkuk took place, most likely prior to 605 B.C., which was the year that the Babylonians rose to power, and possibly even before 612, which was the year of the destruction of Nineveh, or a.k.a. the destruction of the Assyrian Empire, which was the the people, the empire that overtook Israel in the north just 150 years earlier. And it doesn't matter, though, when exactly this takes place, but what is important for us to know as that this prophet was not predicting the fall of Israel in the north, which was in like 722 B.C. And this is actually a lot of the prophets we've covered up till this point this summer when I've been preaching have been talking about the judgment coming on Israel in the north. But this morning, Habakkuk is talking about, and almost 150 years later, predicting the fall of Judah and the fall of the south in 586 B.C. That's when it took place. Habakkuk is a little unique in that he doesn't speak for God to the people like most prophets do, but that Habakkuk actually spoke to God about the people of Judah. Now, Judah, the people of Judah, were the remaining people of God at this point that had not yet been sent into exile. So setting up the story, the people in Judah in Habakkuk's time had, uh, just like in the north, had drastically fallen away from the Lord and his ways and the covenant promise that they had agreed to. And just, uh, just like the, the north had done that, uh, then God sends prophets to them. And so God sends you know, Habakkuk to them. And Habakkuk calls out twice to God in the book that bears his name. And he pours out his heart to the Lord. And twice, Habakkuk gets a divine response from God. We also see a psalm that's actually written by Habakkuk in chapter 3. And most of the songs, or most of the psalms, are in the book that bears its name, the psalms in the Old Testament. But we actually see here one of the other 
places in the Bible where a psalm is recorded uh, or is mentioned is here in Habakkuk chapter 3. Now, a quick outline of the book of Habakkuk is that you see Habakkuk's first complaint or him pouring out his heart to God in chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. And the main idea that's being presented by Habakkuk is this question. Why does evil, why does evil in Judah go unpunished? So he's talking about, okay, we're seeing all this evil by the people of God in Judah. Why is it going unpunished? That's verses 2 through 4 in chapter 1. Then God's answer is in chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. And he, God says the Babylonians will punish Judah. Then we get into Jonah's second complaint, which is, okay, well, you're saying that Judah's going to be punished by the Babylonians, but how can a just and wicked Babylon just continue to punish people that are more righteous than them? Because this was not a very righteous nation. And this is him pouring out his heart for the second time is chapter 1, verse 12 to chapter 2, verse 1. And then you got God's response in chapter 2, verses 2 through 20, is that Babylon will be punished, but also faith will be rewarded. And then you got Habakkuk's psalm or prayer in chapter 3. Now, for a few moments, I want to take us through and read for you these first two, or these two times that Habakkuk pours out his heart to the Lord. Okay, so the first time that Habakkuk pours out his heart to the Lord is in chapter 1, verse 2 through 4. Let me read it for you. It says, How long, Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save. Now, verse 2, we'll stop there really quickly, is very similar to statements in Psalms chapter 6, Psalm chapter 10, and Psalm chapter 13, which are psalms of lament or psalms of sadness, songs of sadness. So it's important, it's so important, I think we need to realize, for us to go to God in times that are really hard or times that are really sad when we really need him and to pour out our hearts to him. Chapter 6, verse 3 of the Psalm chapter 6 says, My soul is in anguish. How long, O Lord, how long? Psalm chapter 10, verse 1. Why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? See the kind of the similarity between how this psalm starts and how these psalms start, or this this pouring out of his heart? Verse 13, 1 and 2 of the psalms. How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? And we've all had these kinds of thoughts and prayers. Some of us might actually be going through and praying one of these kinds of prayers right now. But I want you to know that if this is where you're at this morning, to hang on, not to give up, and to not try to do it alone. Galatians chapter 6 verse 2 reminds us that we need to help each other carry each other's burdens. 
and to not try to do it alone. So try to find somebody here at Grace Point or in your life that's a believer that can help you because it's important to do so. Back to chapter 1, verse, verse 3 and 4, okay, it says that why do, you, why do you make me look at injustice? Habakkuk has another question. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. There, therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Kind of crazy that he's talking about how sin, lawlessness, violence were rampant. And therefore, Habakkuk has these questions. Why do you make me look at injustice, God? Why do you tolerate wrong? He's talking about how the law is paralyzed. Justice never prevails. Justice is perverted. Those are really deep and devastating statements, if you think about it. And for this reason, Habakkuk was pouring out his heart to the Lord. Have you ever poured out your heart to God for injustice in the world, for violence, or for lawlessness? It's something that's good to also pour out our hearts to God about. And I remember the first time that I heard about how much injustice there was in our world. I was a youth. I think I was in middle school or high school. And I still remember the talk that was given to me by, in my youth, my years of my youth. And I just remember when I heard this talk and when I fully figured out how much injustice there really was in the world, then my heart just like dropped into my stomach. And I just could not shake the thoughts that were running through my mind and the feelings that I was experiencing in that moment. And all that I knew was that I just was on my knees, praying, asking God, pleading with God to somehow solve this problem of injustice. And maybe you've been there before. But you know what happens as good as I do, that that feeling lasts for a while, but then somehow it seems like life kind of goes on or we, we become calloused or we just kind of uh, almost accept that this is the way that the world is. And then in s- some senses, we maybe forget. We stop praying. It's very easy to stop praying, crying out to God for the injustice in our world. And my, one of the, the, the pleas for all of us this morning is to begin to pour out our God, to begin to pour out our hearts to God for this injustice that's in our world once more and to to do it regularly. It's such a good prayer to pray and only with power is there, or only with prayer is there power. But Habakkuk, he pours out his heart to God about this injustice, uh, about the people of Judah, God's people um, that they were partaking in, And then God's response, God's answer, as I've already said, is that the Babylonians would punish Judah. And that's in chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. And he said that time was coming. You're going to be utterly amazed, for I'm going to do something in your days that you won't believe even if I told you. And then he tells Habakkuk that he would raise up the Babylonians and that they were going to 
overtake. They were going to punish the Israelites, the people of Judah. Uh, and he uses powerful word pictures to do so if you go through and read the rest of chapter 1 through verse about 10 or 11. Uh, and then next, Habakkuk presents a second complaint, complaint, a second time where he pours out his heart to the Lord. And that's in chapter 1, verse beginning in verse 12. And it goes through all the way through chapter 2, verse 1. And let me read it for you. It says, uh, Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, will you never die? Or you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. He's talking about the Babylonians. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You have made people like the fish in the sea, like the sea creatures that have no ruler. Right? He's talking about the sea, fish in the sea. There's so many fish in the sea, just like there's so many people in the world beyond counting. And it says, you, you have made us like fish in the sea, like sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet. And so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and burns incest, incense to his dragnet. For by his net, he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. He's saying, how can a just God allow wicked Babylon to continue to punish people and to punish people that are more righteous than themselves? And he's basically saying, it, is he just going to, God, are you just going to allow the Babylonians to just continue emptying their nets, destroying nations without mercy? Will Babylon not be held accountable? And so he even uses a fishing analogy, right? He's talking about this fishing net, and, and he's talking about the drag net, which, tell, which tells the type of net. It's a net that draws around and encircles the fish, and it's used here as a figurative symbol for divine judgment. But Habakkuk is wondering if the people or if other nations who are being depicted as fish in this metaphor are really going to be able to be caught and destroyed, overtaken by this wicked Babylon without consequences. So, so Habakkuk is pouring out his heart to God for a second time. And then God answers and says in verse 3 of chapter 2, Babylon will be destroyed. And then he goes on in chapter 2, verses 6 through 20, to give five woes. There's five woes that are pronounced against Babylon. Number one, woe number one is in verse 6. It says, woe to him who piles up stolen goods and becomes wealthy by exhortion, by taking things by force. Then the second woe is in verse 9. It says, Woe to him who builds his realm by unjust gain. 
And then the third, bo- third woe is in verse 12. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and by crime. The fourth woe says, woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors and makes them drunk for his pleasures. That's verse 15. And then verse 19 says, woe to him who worships idols. Now what's pretty, what's pretty amazing is that in verse 14, we see that proud Babylon was going to receive judgment, but also that their destruction would cause the Lord's glory to be made known all throughout the earth. Habakkuk in Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 14 actually quotes and expands on Isaiah chapter 11 verse 9, which makes this very point that through this destruction, God would be glorified. And so for this reason, Habakkuk sings a psalm, sings a prayer to God, which speaks of the magnificence of God and the greatness of him, but also just how he's going to continue to rejoice, how he's going to continue to be joyful before the Lord, trusting in him, even in the midst, catch this, even in the midst of his hard times that they were facing. This is another place where this prophet pours out his heart to the Lord about the coming doom, the coming doom and about the lack of crops that they were experiencing. Now, it's worth mentioning that there's many Bible verses and people that remind us of the importance of pouring out our hearts to the Lord, just like Habakkuk did. In Psalm 62, verse 8, it says, Trust in him. Trust in the Lord at all times. You people, pour out your hearts to him. For God is our refuge. Psalm 142, verses 1 and 2 says, I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out my complaint before him. Before him, I tell my trouble. And even Hannah in 1 Samuel, verse 115, could, could not stop crying as she poured out her heart, as she poured out her soul to the Lord, pleading with him to give her a son. What we see from this prophet Habakkuk is that there's this ability to pour out our heart to the Lord, even when we're experiencing lament, even when we're experiencing times of sadness. And it's a good habit to get into, and it's the way that we are meant to operate. When was the last time that you poured out your heart to God in prayer? I mean, I mean, really poured out your heart to God for everything. For some of you, you might not just be asking the question, the question like, when was the last time that I did that? But you might actually be also asking the question, how do I do that? How do I pour out my heart to the Lord? So I have a few suggestions for us this morning. Number one, it says in Psalm chapter 14, verse 2, I pour out my complaint before him, before the Lord. It says, I declare my trouble before him. And the first thing that I want to say about pouring out our hearts to him is that it includes speaking our hearts out loud to him. Part of pouring out our hearts to God 
is declaring from our mouths out loud the things that we want to share with them. So many times we'll pray quietly or we'll just, you know, maybe just pray, you know, uh, by ourselves. But there's just something about when we need to pour out our hearts to God, saying it out loud and sharing that with him, declaring those things that we want to pour out our heart to him about. So important. Uh, a lot of times it helps us realize, too, what we're going through. Have you ever had that before where there's all these things inside of you, but all of a sudden you start speaking it out loud, and then it's like these light bulbs go off, and you start to understand it even more clearly what's going on in your life and in your situation just because you spoke it out loud? Because it's in there, but we got to speak it out. So that's the first thing about how can we pour out our hearts to God? Declare it to him. Declare it out loud. Share it with him. Number two, how do we declare and pour out our hearts to God? It includes throwing away all your, anxi your anxiety on him because he cares for you. That's 1 Peter 5, 7, where it says, throw all your, your anxiety or cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. This means surrendering and giving it to him, letting it go, all of it, letting all of it go into his hands, laying it at, at his feet, opening your hands. You have to give it to him. God's, God's not just going to take it and pry it from our hands. That's not, that's not how God works. God's desire is for us to give it all to him, surrender it all to him, because we realize that that is what's best is when we give it to God and when we let it go and when we pour it out at his feet because he's got it. And then the last thing is Lamentations chapter 2 verse 19 says, arise, cry out in the night at the beginning of the night watches. Pour out your heart like water before the Lord in, in his presence. Um, we just did this example of pouring out our hearts to God, pouring it out like water uh, before the presence of the Lord. And the last thing that I would say is ask God to bring you into his presence. When we want to pour out our hearts to the Lord, I don't know about you, but there's no better place to be than in his very presence. Picture yourself being right at God's feet, pouring out these things to him because there's no better place to be. Make room in your schedule. Get alone with him. Enter into his presence. It's 